0: Welcome to the Paychex HR Leadership Series. I'm your host, Rob Parsons. I lead the content team here at Paychex, and we write extensively on a variety of HR topics, covering everything from HCM technology, to team engagement, to compliance with state and federal regulations. Joining me today is David Meerman Scott. David is a renowned speaker, marketing strategist, Entrepreneur, investor, and advisor to both established and emerging companies. He's also the bestselling author of 11 books, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR, and his latest effort, Fanocracy. David, welcome to the podcast. Rob, it's great to be here. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Thanks. Thanks for coming. And um, you, Of course. it's I, happy to be here. I, I wanted to start. It's just, um, I love all the, the musical artifacts. Uh, in your office space, there. We obviously both share a deep passion for music, but I do have to say, uh, you've seen a few more live shows uh, than I have. <laughs>
1: I've seen a few, I actually know the precise number, Uh, 804 live concerts since I was 15 years old. I actually have been keeping a spreadsheet since the first Excel spreadsheets came out. And then I actually, I have been collecting my ticket stubs before that. So I went back and I entered those all in the spreadsheet and have been going forward since then, including 75 Grateful Dead concerts. And I know that's incredibly geeky, but hey, (laughs) I 'm proud of it, and I was trying to convince you, Rob, that we could talk about music for the whole podcast, but um, maybe we'll talk about some h R stuff too, but we can talk about music as long as you'd like
0: <laughs> <laughs> can do it actually that's it's a, a nice segue. I was reading your book, Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead uh, the book you wrote with Brian Halligan, CEO of Hubspot, and it, it what what really struck me is it, was, it while it was a marketing book, there were so many of these le- lessons um if you look at through the lens of HR, totally applicable to to engaging and motivating and making things happen within a company.
1: Yeah, no, that's so true because if you think about it, the Grateful Dead, were running their business as a company. Um, they had a board of directors made up of the band members and the crew members, by the way, which is really interesting because it's one of the very, one of the only bands I know of that made the crew members equal participants um, in the business. And they were in profit sharing and health insurance, all sorts of things that's, that are unheard of today. Um, um, so they're really forward thinking when it comes to HR strategies um, in the way that they ran their band. Uh, And in fact, the, um, for a long time, the president of Grateful Grateful Dead, the touring company, was the tour manager. It wasn't a band member. So it's it's just really interesting what they did and how they did it.
0: I love it. I love it. And your your latest book, Fanography, you know, kind of, it builds on some of those themes. And and what I loved was how that while it was maybe in externally facing as well, once again, that can really be applied internally.
1: So yeah, this was so much fun to write, um, Fanocracy. I wrote it with my daughter, Reiko. She's now 27 years old. When We started this project about five years ago because I was lamenting to her I was like, I need to th- come up with some uh, new idea for a book. And you know, I, loved, I, um, I love writing about digital marketing, but I've done that enough. I wanna think about something new. And, and, and so we just started talking then a separate conversation about the things that we're a fan of. And she obviously knows I'm a huge live music fan. I actually indoctrinated her into it. I, the first show I brought her to, she was seven years old. It was the Psychedelic Furs, the Go-Go's, nice. and, the B50 and the B-52s, which nice. was quite a lineup, I must say. Um, and then the first time she chose the band, she was nine, and she wanted to go see Pink. Um, not a bad start for a a young lady and she's introduced me to a ton of new music since then but her real love is harry potter she's um seen every movie multiple times read every book multiple times and um even wrote an eighty-five thousand word alternative ending to the harry potter series where draco malfoy is a spy for the order of the phoenix and so (laughs) i'm a i'm a huge live music fan I'm obviously an older generation than her because I'm her father. I'm a man. She's a woman. My wife is Japanese. Reiko is mixed race and was born in Tokyo. Um, And she's a medical doctor. She just started in the emergency department as a doctor in Boston Medical Center. So we're utterly different as people, my daughter and I. But we had the same idea of fandom her being a fan of Harry Potter, me being a fan of live music, especially the Grateful Dead. So we decided to research, you know, how and why do people become fans? Spent five years doing that, dug into things like the neuroscience of fandom, what's going on in the brain when we become a fan of something. Um, And, um, and, and one of the, there are a couple of things that were incredibly surprising, but one of the most surprising things is that any person organization, idea, um, can build fans. And so we ran across B2B companies that have fans. We ran across insurance companies that have fans, by the way, and everyone hates insurance companies, but there are some that have fans. Uh, We found a U.S. government agency, a U.S. government agency that has over 60 million fans. You can be walking down the street of any city in the world and not be surprised if someone's approaching you wearing a NASA t-shirt. NASA oh, is yeah. a government. NASA is a government agency That's with six, right. with with tens of millions of fans, and I actually had a, I spent a full day with the administrator of NASA, Jim Bridenstine, talking about just this idea about how because they have cultivated so many fans, they have um, uh, and by the way, with their employees as well, because people love to work at NASA, um, because they've done such a great job cultivating fans. Um, the the um, politicians and government officials recognize that people love NASA. The American people love NASA. Therefore, they get funding. And mm-hmm. if, you hated, if you hated NASA, I mean, why the hell are we spending all this money on space? They wouldn't get the funding. So it's yeah. interesting that fandom actually is a business uh, growth engine.
0: It is. Yeah, it's interesting. They're, they're, they're still trying to get rid of the post office. <laughs> I don't know
1: how many, I every once in a while you see someone with a post office t-shirt and I can't decide whether that's being ironic or not, but, um, um, but yeah, you know, I, fandom, it's just such an interesting topic.
0: And, and what I liked when we, we last talked about this was that idea of passion um, yes. and all the different ways it comes through. And maybe you can tell our, our listeners a little bit about how we can I guess let it come through, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, you know, it's really, really interesting um, from the perspective of HR how fabulously important people's passions are to them as an individual. And um, this was the most surprising thing in our research of the book. You know, we, we, it was a little surprising that any kind of organization can build fans, even a government agency or an insurance company. But the idea of how important passion is was even more surprising to us. So it turns out that we humans gravitate to people who have passion. We don't even need to share that passion with that other person. And I'll just give you an example. Um, We met um, a dentist, his name is Dr. John Murashi, And I actually met him after a speech. Um, I deliver speeches at Tony Robbins Business Mastery event. So uh, 2000 people in the audience, I got off the stage. And Dr. Marashi came up to me and says, you know, David, I'm a dentist. I don't have fans. What the hell are you talking about? And I said, well, yeah, you can and you should. What do you love to do, Dr. Marashi? He says, I love to skateboard. I'm a huge enthusiast for skateboarding. And I said, well, cool. Um, I think you should celebrate that you love to skateboard in your dentist dental practice. So he, he actually took up my challenge and actually did that. So he has skateboards on the wall of his dental practice. He skateboards from one examination room to another. Um, he, um, uh, he has an Instagram with 15,000 followers, where many of the photos are, him, are of him skateboarding. On his website, his practice website, he has pictures not of just of him in his white coat looking dent- dental-like, but he also has pictures of him, him skateboarding. And he called me out of the blue a couple months ago, and his, he said, David, this has been great. I grew my business 30% last year. Because of this one idea of showcasing my passion for skateboarding, because now I'm not one of ten thousand dentists in California, I am now the skateboarding dentist in California, and it's and and people are attracted to that. They don't have to be skateboarders; they're just attracted to that passion. I spoke with my daughter two days ago, Rako, uh, my co-author, who also. Um, as I mentioned earlier, is an emergency room doctor at Boston Medical Center. Now, she, what she told us, is, me, is really interesting because we were riffing about this idea of passion in the hospital, and she said that in the era of COVID that we're in right now, um, they have to don all of this PPE, personal protective equipment. You know, they have to put on um, their surgical scrubs and they put on another th- set of gowns and they actually put on two masks. They put on a face shield. And she said, Daddy, th- what, what's so interesting to me is that once we put all that stuff on, we're not human anymore because the patient can't see us as a human. We look like a, 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 an alien coming into their room. Um, and so what I've done and what many, many, many other doctors do is we show our passion for something by putting on a pin onto our, onto our white coat or onto our um, PPE or onto our scrubs. Um, we know, I know some doctors who wear Boston Red Sox face masks over the top, over the top of their N95 mask. She said, I have a Black Lives Matter and a um, LGBTQ rainbow on my badge, sticker on my badge. Um, And I wear, sometimes she wears a Harry Potter pin. Um, And she said that the patients light up And they don't have to be a Red Sox fan. They don't have to be a Harry Potter fan. They don't have to support necessarily Black Lives Matter, but all of a sudden she's able to relate as a person to her um, patience simply by showing that she's passionate about something and she's a human and I think that this idea is really interesting from the perspective of what HR people should be thinking about because many times um, you know in my experience when I used to work for companies it it it, it didn't seem appropriate to celebrate what you love it didn't seem appropriate to put a poster of the Grateful Dead up in your office it didn 't seem appropriate to wear a t-shirt of your favorite rock band um, and that actually is super appropriate because you're showing your passion to your coworkers you're showing your passion if you if you do have uh, um, relationships with customers with your customers or your partners or vendors or whoever and that passion becomes infectious. And it's, it's actually a super interesting way to grow fans of any business. So I, I, I really think that um, this idea needs to get more attention in the HR community, the idea that what you do in your off time is really important for who you are as an employee. Um, another, and I know I'm going a long time on a very simple question here, but it's quite the, the, the other the other thing that comes <laughs> to mind here is allowing people to express their passion. And here's what I mean by that: you know, if you have a marathon runner as an employee, and they need a weird set of hours in order to train, you know, they've got to leave uh, every day at three o'clock for three months to train great congratulations you're going for this awesome goal we wish you the best please leave every day at three o'clock that's totally cool and I've heard from people who who have this kind of passion and I'm like my company says I can do it but I can I can sense they don't like it and I can sense they get annoyed when I say I can't make a meeting that's scheduled at four o'clock but the companies that truly honor that and celebrate that um, have employees that become passionate about the things they love and they're, they're absolutely make better employees.
0: I, I love that. And, and I love, it's gotta be so important now when uh, the lines between work and, and, and personal have never been as blurred. It's never been as murky as it's been these last few months.
1: Oh, yeah, especially these last few months where many, depending on the business, of course, but many people work from home. Um, Many of us have innumerate, numerous Zoom calls that we that we participate in. And, you know, I've had people say to me, David, I I change out of my rock band T-shirt that I love into a corporate shirt before I go on the zoom um i was talking to um my friend who's the chief marketing officer at a company called skillsoft and she told she told me that um it's a, a big technology company she told and, and they do um they do um uh, online online education and she told me that um she had conversations with the HR people, and she said it's totally cool in our meetings if you want to wear a band T-shirt. <laughs> and they actually have they had a wear your favorite band T-shirt to the Zoom meeting day.
0: There you um,
1: go. And I have a screen. Actually, got a screenshot of it because it's super cool. There's like 25 people, and they're all standing up and pointing their band T-shirts. And and that's just a little thing I know, but um, it's really uh, it's really powerful stuff.
0: It is. And it's, it's, it's really helping individuals be themselves, express themselves. And there's got to be room for that. You, and, and, I, and I love that story you just told because it's, it's a little bit of joy. It's a little bit of joy to be able to share a bit of yourself out to the world and let people know what you're into. It is. and then,
1: and then the other thing, and I've mentioned this already, but um, it does serve as a powerful thing for customers. Whether you're looking for a new dentist and you decide that the skateboarding dentist is right for you, whether you're a patient who's super scared to go into a hospital emergency room because you're really sick and you encounter um, a doctor who's wearing a Red Sox face mask and it makes you smile, um, uh, or, or you deal with somebody at a company who tells you they're training for a marathon, I mean, these are really great things. Or they, or, are. They, or they sing in a cover band, for example, right? Oh,
0: well, yeah. I know, I know a couple people that do that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it, it, it leads to another interesting point. I've always loved the idea of tribes. Um, yes. Ha- I, having my tribe and being a part of something unique and special, like a sports team, like an Apple, like a Peloton. Um, how do we as HR leaders... Can we activate that? Does that have to just be an informal process or are there things we can do to cultivate, cultivate that type of sharing and connecting and engaging?
1: I think it is something that can be cultivated. Um, and I've actually done a lot of like digging around into this topic. Um, and I think that if you think about it, there's, there's sort of two elements of this. How do you cultivate it with the outside world or with your customers um and then how can you cultivate a culture where people absolutely love to be part of a tribe and that tribe is the company they work for so let's look at that for a second um absolute, there's no question that um if you think about the culture you're building you can create employees who are fans of the company that they work for. And I'd I'd actually actually share an example of of the company is HubSpot. And um, I've been fortunate to serve on the advisory board of HubSpot since the very beginning. They founded in 2006. I joined them in 2007 as an advisor. Uh, At the time I joined them, they had less than 10 employees. They had only beta software, no customers. Uh, They announced their earnings yesterday. Um, their uh, market cap on the New York Stock Exchange is over $10 billion. They have 87,000 customers uh, and they expect to do something like um, $700 million in revenue this year. So how do you go from founding your company in 2006 to a $10 billion market cap in um, 2020? That's only 14 years. Well, it comes down to the culture that you create in the company and they have 3, 000, over 3,000 employees now and you mentioned earlier marketing lessons from the Grateful Dead which I wrote with Brian Halligan the CEO of HubSpot and he and I are are buddies and I've talked with him about this They, they specifically set out to develop a company culture where people love HubSpot and um and you can actually check out their culture code because it's available on the web. Just type in onto Google HubSpot culture code and you'll you'll find it. Um, they posted that originally on SlideShare. Last time I checked, I think it had something like 4 million views. I mean, can you imagine just... Think about that for a minute. A company culture code, a, 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 a B2B software company's culture code has 4 million views on SlideShare. I mean, that's, that, that just says a lot right there. But anyway, they have a number of different things that are really interesting there. They say there is no vacation policy. Um, you take what you need. Um, they, um, um, they are obsessed about transparency and honesty. Um, they're so obsessed about transparency that they tell employees way more than most companies do about what's going on internally. They have a super active wiki and super active Slack channels where people discuss all different aspects of what's going on in the company. Um, and, it, you know, you can ask the CEO a question through these different forums. Um, and they've made their, 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 their culture so transparent that they actually are, were worried about getting in trouble with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, because everybody there is exposed to insider information. <laughs> yeah. Right. And all the time. Because, yeah. Right. Because most companies only the only the senior, very senior executives, and maybe people in the accounting department know what's going on um, on in the inner workings of the company. But at HubSpot, there's so much going on that everyone is considered an insider from the perspective of the SEC, and they can't trade their stock during certain times of the of the year. So. Um, what does all of this lead to? Of, of course it leads to the success that we just talked about where um, they, their earnings announcement that they, they did yesterday was spectacular and they've been growing steadily since they founded in 2006. But the other thing that's interesting, people truly do love to work at HubSpot and they were um, named the number one company, uh, number one best company to work for by employees on Glassdoor. And so to be number one on Glassdoor, that's kind of cool. Yeah,
0: that's a, that's <laughs> uh, a huge win for, for an HR team who's trying to get the best talent so that they can continue to be successful.
1: That's, a, that's absolutely right. And I spoke with Katie Burke, who's their chief people officer, about this. And she said, we do not cultivate the reviews on Glassdoor. We don't. We're separate from Glassdoor. Glassdoor does their thing. Employees, if they want to, can contribute. They want to, and they do, and they made us number one. We focus on the culture we want to make a company that people love to work at. We want to make a company where people can feel that they can make a difference. We want to make a company where people feel that if they do a good job, they can get promoted into the next job that they want to do and um, and that they love their coworkers. And they truly are building that in a, in a very, very remarkable way. And I'm lucky because I'm very closely associated with them, but I'm not an actual employee. So it's kind of the best of both worlds and I'm able to see what they do in, an, in, in, a, in a very intimate way, but I'm not actually employ- an employee, so I can look at it from as an outsider as well. And
0: I, and I really enjoyed hearing that it was on purpose. I, I, I get the feeling so many companies, their culture happens by accident. The culture becomes what it becomes. There's not this purposeful vision from the top that says, this is the not just the business we're trying to build, but the kind of company we're trying to be, the people we're trying to be.
1: Yes. No, and they did, and they specifically set out to do it, and that culture code is a working document. It changes now and then when it needs to, but um, um, but it's absolutely something that they set out to do. They said, we want to make a company that people love to work at, that they love to um, uh, in, uh, recruit their friends to work there, that they love to share how great the company is and, and potentially generate new customers for the company. And, um, and it absolutely does work. And, um, and you can see that, I, I'm gonna say it again, but go to, go to HubSpot Culture Code and just see what they codified. Um, that every employee um, can see and, and, and work from
0: yeah I want I want to check that out we're very we are very strong in our values here at paychecks and they've they've served us very well these past few months and, and I very much appreciate the attention and leadership that we have around that area. So what's on the horizon David it, you know as, as HR leaders are, are looking ahead trying to get ahead of this game trying to build this fanocracy within their organizations? What kind of tools and techniques should, should we be thinking about beyond culture?
1: You know, what's interesting to me right now, I'm fascinated by it, is um, we're now roughly six months into this pandemic that we're all dealing with. And I think we've kind of figured out this, you know, if it's the kind of business you run, the work from home thing, we've kind of figured out how do you, you know, how do you do the Zoom thing or the Microsoft Teams thing or whichever tool you use? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that feels like, um, okay, it's not the same, but we're still able to do, do business and we're still able to move forward. I'm really interested in what's going to, what's going to happen um, when we are on the other side of this. And what does that mean For the world of work? Does that mean that if you are more productive at home that you can stay home? Or are you going to be told you have to go back to the office? Does it mean that maybe we go to some kind of hybrid model where it's a hot desk at the office that you don't have your own cubicle or you don't have your own office, you just show up and you know, two days a week you're in and three days a week you're not. Um, um, you know, many of us, um, have started working Saturdays and Sundays and maybe taking off time when the kids are at home or whatever it might be. Um, will that model continue once we're on the other side of this? Um, and in my, in my world, um, I think, you know, Rob, that I, I've delivered, um, speeches in 47 countries all seven continents the last speech live the last in-person speech i delivered was on march 4th i've done 30 or 40 virtual speeches since march and that's great but in my world what does that mean when we're on the back of that of, of the pandemic for for my for my work and i I know that in-person speeches will come back. I know in-person live music will come back and I can't wait to go to a show again. I know it's been (laughs) since March since Uh I've last been to a show, but I wonder, I wonder, will there be hybrid models? Will there be a hybrid model for speaking engagements where there's part in person, part virtual? Will there be a hybrid model for rock shows where Um, you can buy a ticket to go live, but maybe you can also buy a ticket for some kind of virtual experience. I I don't know. That's what's really interesting to me is this pandemic has changed us during the pandemic, but afterwards, do we go back to business as usual as if nothing happened, or have we made changes that will be um, part of our lives forever now? What do you think, Rob? (laughs) You answer
0: that one. (laughs) I'll put the question back to you. And I'll take that question. I very much hope we don't go back to business as usual. I I think this has been a great period of forced evolution, and we've, we've made some tremendous improvements. I know just in our own company, we've seen some real gains, some real ways of working more creatively, working better together, and, and I don't want us to just snap back to old habits. I want us to take the best of what we've learned and, and do our very best to, to hold on to it and, and don't let it go.
1: Good. I, 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 I'm with you on that. I, I, I second that motion. Let's, uh, let's codify that in stone as the David and Rob culture code.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate you joining me today on the podcast.
1: Uh, of course. It's great fun. I wish every wearer was as awesome as you, Rob.
0: Oh, that's very kind. To learn more about David, his unique approach, and his books, visit davidmirmanscott.com. In a world where culture really is becoming king, his thinking is spot on for we in the HR industry. Thank you once again, David. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Paychex HR Leadership Series. You can listen to all of our episodes on the most popular podcast platforms, as well as on paychex.com at paychex.com slash works slash podcasts. We also have the Paychex Business Series hosted by Gene Marks, where he talks with business owners and compliance and legal experts about the challenges facing businesses today. And you heard us mention the pulse of HR survey, you can get your own copy of the report at payx.me pulse 2020. This podcast is property of Paychex Inc 2020. All rights reserved.